So let me give you a little background for this message today. So I had a whole nother message prepared than the one I'm going to preach today, and the computer crashed on Thursday night. Okay, just Mac totally gone. You know when you just see the apple and nothing else happens? That's what happened to my message. So after hours and hours of trying everything to get that going, and I had already typed 1,300 words into, I usually type about 2,000 to 2,500 for sermons. I said, uh, there's big plans for Friday, so God wants me to preach another message that I've already preached and move it around a little bit. And so the, we're going to take a week off of Mark, and I, I'm going to preach on an important message um, when it comes to the story of Jesus. It's the one of the thief on the cross. We preach this about once a year, and let me tell you why I preach this once a year to us. So you notice I preach the parable of the sower once a year, and I, I preach the thief on the cross once a year. It's because these stories and messages of Jesus, need, we need to be reminded of them constantly to shape our hearts. Because our hearts forget quickly, our minds forget quickly the grace and love and forgiveness of God. And that's how we change. We change when we're reminded how unworthy and undeserving we are of God's grace, yet he still loves us and declares us innocent before him. His love is never less, even when we're at our lowest. And it's important, this message today, when we see our Savior pray one of the greatest intercessory prayers, Father God, forgive them for they know what, not what they do, that that still shapes our life. When he looks to a man who is on death row, and this man says, just remember me in paradise, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. We can't forget these things. These are the great and powerful stories of our Savior King Jesus that need to keep shaping us as followers of Jesus. So as I was doing a little more homework on this message, because I did, I printed up, I wanted to change a few things, and I said, let me go look at what murderers on death row, what they say in their final sayings. My goal was to go there, was to show that Jesus was great in saying, Father God, forgive them. Like they're saying horrible things, like I hope everyone still dies or monstrous things. But something else happened. Something else. I saw that these men were saying I'm going home like they were going to heaven. Like three out of ten were saying they're going home. Then I began to ask myself the question, am I all right with men who are on death row saying that they're going to the same kingdom that we claim to be going to? And I want you to ask that question today to yourself. Are you okay with someone on death row who has murdered people and taken their lives knowingly if they have truly repented and put their faith in Jesus? Are you okay with being part of the same kingdom as them? Or do you think you're more deserving? Because let me tell you, when I was reading through it, I, I had trouble. Even my heart. And I, that's one of the biggest questions I always hear from people. So you're telling me if this person repents, that God will forgive them. And we're not the ones who hand out forgiveness. So I'm underqualified for the job of God. But God forgives the lowliness, not only low, lowliest, not only does he forgive the lowly, lowest, I don't think lowliest is a word, am I making stuff up up here? It's Hebrew, 
<laughs> God forgives the lowest. And the best thing we can do is not take ourselves out of that category. Because that's when you'll experience the gospel. Amen? So if you would just turn to me, with me, to Luke chapter 23, 32 through 42. And if I could ask someone in the back, Uncle Dev, do you mind shutting just that back door, the second glass door? Just so as we get going with the sound and everything, it will help the cause. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you see what just happened there? There's a murderer on death row. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst. On death row. He looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. What a savior king that is. So the first thing I need us to understand and see is that Jesus was identified as a criminal. Why was Jesus killed? Why was he murdered? Why was he put on death row? Does anyone know the answer to that question? Because they said he was the worst of the worst. They said he was a criminal. They said he was a blasphemer. They said that he broke the greatest commandment of God, which you shall have no other gods. He said, I am the son of God. They said, you're a blasphemer. And they crucified him and they murdered him. Imagine about those people, imagine those people you see on death row and you read their stories in the news before they either get lethal injection and many people don't get the electric chair anymore. But what do you think when... You look at these people, you say, they deserve it. They deserve it. Jesus didn't deserve it, but he chose to go into broken places. And he ministers the gospel in these broken places. Can you imagine the Son of God, the perfect one, the innocent one, is pinned on a tree. On his left, the worst of the worst. On his right, the worst of the worst. And even in that place, he's speaking life to these people who society tells us are worthless. Society tells us criminals, prostitutes, sometimes even the fatherless, they're worthless. The addicted, they're worthless. Not to Jesus. Not to Jesus. 
Look at Jesus' ministry. Look where he was and look where he was speaking life to. Where was he when they threw a prostitute in the street and said she deserves murder to be murdered and stoned because we caught her in adultery? Where was Jesus and what was he saying? He was in a broken place. He walked up, he picked up a stone and said, him who was without sin, you cast the first stone. And guess how many stones were thrown that day? None. How about the lepers? The ones who had horrible skin disease and they wouldn't even let them near the town but put them far away. Where did Jesus go to the lepers to heal them? How about the drunkards? Who the religious leaders saying the drunkards, they're worthless. Don't go around them. We gave up on them a long time ago. Where was Jesus? Right next to them. So much that they began to call him a drunkard. He went into broken. How about the tax collectors? We can't stand tax collectors. Taking our money. Where was Jesus? He was putting out his hand and offering forgiveness, saying, come and follow me. Even the first book of the New Testament was written by a tax collector. Do you guys see that? Jesus went into these broken places, these dark places, these places where people said, there's no hope for me. And then you have the Savior God, man, the King. He says, not only is hope for you, I'm going to change you, I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to call you into my kingdom. Wow. Come on now. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And I want us to hear this today. Some of the greatest joys in life are being with the broken where there is no praise of man, no crowd to cheer. There is only a heavenly father to please. No one was cheering for Jesus that day. No one was cheering for him when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Know what they were cheering? Crucify him. When you minister to the broken, when you go into dark places where people are in their darkest hour, wherever they are, and you speak the life of the gospel in kind and encouraging words, do not look for the praise of man. Look for the pleasure of our heavenly father. Amen. Some of your greatest times when you're walking and following Jesus, where you are in a dark place, being a light and giving someone hope, where they feel like there is no hope. I remember a few years ago, there was this man, I was discipling him. He was walking in sobriety for at least a year, and um, things were going well. He was fired up. He was following Jesus. He's at the Bible says at church, and then I get a call one day that he got put in prison um, for a criminal act for robbery, breaking and entering. And you know what my heart did? My heart started to question the authenticity of him as a Christian. My heart became discouraged. But you know what the Holy Spirit was calling me to do? He was calling me to go visit him in prison. Know what I didn't want to do? Go visit him in prison. I want to say, you deserve it, man. Here I am discipling you, loving you. I'm spending time with you. You know Jesus. You know the right path, and you chose the wrong path. The last place I wanted to go was to prison to minister in this man. You know what? Because life is tough enough than having to go to dark places. Do you know what I mean? I'm struggling getting through the 24-7. I don't want to go through to places where I'm reminded of how dark it is. I'm talking in the flesh. I don't want to go to nursing homes. Know why? Because I'm reminded of my mortality. 
I don't want to go to prisons. Know why? Because I see the moms out there with their sons and they're absolutely broken. And I see the fatherless children going to visit their dads in prison and it reminds me of the brokenness of this world. I don't want to drive someone to a rehab because it reminds me and it says to me, oh man, I got to remind that people are dying from addiction every day. I want to look the other way in my natural man. Does, can anyone relate? I want to look the other way. I want to show on Netflix I life to, to forget about it all. I want to lock myself in my house. I don't want to go out, just look out. It's messed up out there. Close that door. That's what I want to do in my flesh. I don't want to go to broken places, but let me tell you something. If you're following Jesus, he calls you to broken places. The priest of the light of the gospel. So I went there. I saw the moms weeping over their sons. I saw the, the wives and the girlfriends who were waiting and counting the days till their boyfriends and husbands got out. I saw... I saw all that. Children just wanted to see their dad through glass. And I didn't look away. I looked at it. You know? When you follow Jesus, don't look away. You have to look at the pain in order to bring the grace of God into that situation. And I'm a germaphobe, so I'm on the phone like this. I got the phone two inches away because I'm like, who had their mouth on this thing before me? Looking for hand sand. They don't have that in prison. And he walked out, and he sat there, and we began to talk. You know what I didn't talk about? His sins and his mistakes of his past. Because let me say, tell you something you don't forget when you're in prison, the sins and mistakes of your past. You don't have to remind someone when they got a jumpsuit on and they're locked up that they did something wrong. <laughs> it, it, listen, there's things you don't have to know what you need to do. And know what, by God's grace, I did. I remind him of God's forgiveness, and I remind him of a future of grace. And later I found out, you know, this man is still following Jesus, and I won't give you too many clues just in case you figure out who it is. Later found out that I was the only one who visited him while he was in there. That was the one visit he had, and it gave him the hope to make it through those nine months. And today he follows Jesus. When we're able to go in broken places like Jesus on that cross, even in his last chapter, he spent it with murderers, calling one of them into paradise, into his kingdom with him. That's how powerful our God is. These two men have front row seats to the greatest intercessory prayer that was ever prayed from our Savior King. We have to understand that these three men understood each other at that moment. Their hands are pierced, all of them. Their, their feet are pierced. They're in their last chapter of their life. They're going through the same thing. Jesus is being mocked like you couldn't imagine. He's dying and people are laughing at him. I need a, you to feel that. That's for you and me. They're laughing at him. You thought you were the Christ? Save yourself. Save yourself. You have the power to save yourself. They put over his cross what he actually was, the king of the Jews. They mocked him with his own identity. He's unrecognizable, the scriptures tell us. Like if someone who knew him saw him, they wouldn't even be able to tell. He was so mutilated, okay? He's being scoffed. He's being railed at. To add insult to injury, they're gambling for his clothes. Many theologians most likely say he's absolutely naked. So he's absolutely humiliated. 
humiliated Jesus for us. Yet in all that, what do you expect to come out of his mouth? What came out of his mouth should shake our souls every day of our life. He looked around at the people who were murdering him, and he looked up to the heavens and said, Father God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We need to hear that heart because that's our Savior, and that's the heart he's trying to put in us. He's trying to make us pray for us. Those are marks of true Christians. When he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you pray for your enemy, when you turn the other cheek, when you pray for those who spitefully use you, when you go the extra mile, those are the marks you know you're a child of God because the Holy Spirit has made you dove-like and he's done some beautiful works of the Spirit in your heart. And these guys, on his left and his right, they could have been saying other things. Like, we'll talk about the guy who railed at him, but he could have been blaming it on his parents. You know what? I'm up on this cross because of my parents. They should have raised me better. You know what? It's the government. It's the government. They make these rules that I break and now I'm up on the cross. It's everyone else's fault. You ever been to prison and asked people if they're guilty? Did you do it? Absolutely not. They got the wrong guy. How do you get the wrong guy? There's only like one guy in prison that really did it. I'm telling you, go to prison. No one did it. It's always someone else's fault. Listen, and that's the wrong heart. Always push back on a victim's mentality. Always. You know who the real victim is? Jesus. The victim of our sin. Okay? And I don't want to belittle people who've really gone through stuff. Some people have been victimized. Absolutely. Absolutely. God calls you to forgive and love and be healed and be ministered to. But let me tell you, in today's culture... We want to blame it on everyone else and become the victim. You will never be healed. You will never own your sin. You will never grow. You will never get past it. You will never be able to praise God for who he is if you're blaming everyone else. Own it. Jesus outed us on the cross. The preacher said it all the time. The fact that Jesus is mutilated on the cross, know what that says? We're out of the closet as sinners. The word is out. Now I can own it. I don't have to blame my sin on anyone else. That guy who reeled at Jesus and said, save yourself, that thief, he's not taking accountability for his sin. He's not taking accountability for it. Two men, two different responses. You ever been amazed when people can go through the same thing and respond differently? So I, I went to the, one of the greatest places you can see this is in the hospital. Go to the hospital. I had to go to the emergency room a few years ago. And I'm always so happy when I'm in the hospital because if I have to go to the hospital, I got to be there. So I need care. So when nurses get in, I'm like, you, come over here. Help me, give me something. I'm, I'm, I'm over grateful. I say thank you too much. I'm glad to be there. You know, I'm thankful. I got my things to be sanctified, but I'm telling you, when I'm in the hospital, I'm most grateful dude there because they're caring for me. In the room next to me, this brother didn't feel the same. This dude... This dude is practically dying, and he's screaming at the nurses. One dude, he's in there, and I heard him through the door. I was probably a little too nosy. They left the door open. It's boring in there. He's in there for a heart attack. I'm telling you. He came from the job site, 
and they said, you probably just had a heart attack, okay? The doctor comes in there, and I hear the questions. He's saying to him, listen, do you smoke? He didn't answer the question. I'm not, sm- not going to stop smoking. Don't get involved in my life. Dude, you're in the hospital with a heart attack. He's telling off the doctor. So the doctor's asking him, he's like, you're not going to tell me I'm smoking, I'm not stopping anything, I'm not changing. Just tell me, give me something. And I'm like, this is unbelievable, the way he's responding. This doctor, who's there to care for him. The doctor leaves, the friends come in, he just can complaining about the doctor who's there to help him. Yelling at him, yelling about him. The reason I tell you this is because this, Jesus is there to save these two criminals. He's saving this man. And this man is so ungrateful, doesn't identify his own sin or his own need, and he rails at Jesus, it says in the scripture, he yells at Jesus, he joins in the mockery and says, if you're the Christ, save yourself. Not knowing that he was saved. He was dying so he could be saved at that moment. Now a wonderful thing happens that is powerful. This man on the other side has a totally different response. He knows that he's guilty. It's a wonderful thing to know that you're guilty because then you can be healed. He's dying. He yells at the other dude and says, do you have no fear of God? And hear his words. We're up on this cross being murdered because we're guilty. We deserve capital punishment. We're up here because of this. This man does not deserve this. That's a heart that gets the gospel, isn't it? He's getting it. He's understanding that Jesus, the Savior King, is dying for him. He's understanding that he doesn't deserve it. He's understanding that Jesus doesn't deserve it, but he does deserve it. This is the gospel, everyone. God is not out there saving good people. He's saving bad people like you and me and showing us much grace. And when we can get that, then we can be humble, contrite, and love our neighbor as ourself. This man got it. And when I was meditating and thinking about this, either, either last, even last night, you know, we got different kings of the earth. And kings can be, if you look in histories, kings are dominant. They want to show off their power. They want people to serve and bow down to them. They want to take from their finances. They just want to control. This king's totally different. What amazes me is that this thief on murder, murderer's row, which society would say the lower low, lowest of low, He sees Jesus as approachable. That he feels like Jesus is approachable enough that he can say, Jesus, please remember me in your kingdom. Wow. Jesus is that loving that I can say to him on death row, remember me in your kingdom? In the God of all the universe, the Son of God, He who has been there from the beginning, He who all things were created through, who took on flesh, I can approach Him like that, the lowest of the low, and the gospel says absolutely yes. Jesus' response blows my mind. He didn't say, you've got to ask better. He didn't say, give me your resume of good deeds. He said, yes, I remember you. And today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Does that blow anyone else's mind? That brother waited till the last minute, no? Talk about cutting it close. 
in his final moment, he saw the love of Jesus on that cross and he said, just remember me. Jesus said, I'll remember. And some of us need to remember today that Jesus remembers you. Really. In your life, you're going through so much and you're saying, do you remember me, Father? Not only does he remember you, he loves you, he's watching over you, and anything you're going through is for your good and his glory. Do you guys hear me? God is not far off from you. The fact that you even feel he's far off tells that you know what his presence feels like. He loves you. He's for you. He remembers you like we read at the beginning. He's known you since your mother's womb. And you're part of his kingdom. And I want to just give a few application points here. Could you ask yourself these questions? Real quick, I want to, before we jump to the application points, did anyone notice something you can take out of this as far as what did this guy do to earn heaven? Talk about the worst, this guy has the worst resume in heaven. What'd you do, bro? How'd you get here? I just asked him to remember me, man. I asked Jesus to remember me and I got there. That's why it's only by grace. There's no resume. It's Jesus' resume. So I want to ask you these questions. Who is God calling you? To visit in prison. Who is God calling you to visit in prison? Who is God placed in your life that suffers from addiction and they need your help to care for them to continue to be sober? Go to them. Go to them. Care for them. Where are the poor that you need them to track you down? You need to track them down to be generous to them. Who needs you to track them down to write a check to? What single mom out there needs you to pay their heating bill when it gets cold out this winter? Who is God calling you to be generous to and to go into that broken place and do that work? Who is sick and needs your care? Who's in the hospital now or in a rehab or even a hospice and needs you to go there in that broken place and speak life? Who's in a nursing home and need you to take time weekly in your schedule to go be there to care for them, to be like Jesus and be a light in dark places. Would you go? Would you answer that call like Jesus and go there and do that for the glory of God? Secondly, who, what enemy do you hate so much that the Holy Spirit is calling you to pray for? You despise them. You don't even want to think about them now. They hurt you so bad. They abused you. They left your life in ruin. And you're saying, God, it's so hard. How can I forgive them? Because Jesus forgave us. That's how you can forgive them. You hold on to that bitterness, it will destroy you. It will destroy you like a disease festering inside. Put it on the cross Forgive your enemies. Not only forgive, pray a genuinely loving prayer from your heart. Say, God, do good in their life. Not only help me forgive, I forgive them, Father, but do good in their life. Show them mercy. Give them good things. Show them your wonders. Send people in life to care for them. Even it seems like they're pushing everyone away. Please pray for your enemies like our Savior, God, King, has taught us to do. 
I see some notes taken out there. That, oh, those are amens. I told you, I take those as amens when I see those notes being taken. Someone doesn't even have a pad out there to pretend in. And finally, in a closing thought here, I want to give hope to some people who felt like they were praying for lost causes. Like a person you kept praying for, the, the mom and dad's praying, it's a brother or sister, an aunt or uncle, a close friend. and They might, even, they might have even already passed away and you wonder about where they are. Are they in paradise and in heaven with God or are they paying for their sins eternally? I want to give you some hope today. This thief on the cross, I'm sure he had people praying for him. Mom's crying over the decisions he's making to keep doing criminal acts. Dads that are looking and saying, this is my son, why is he living like that? Sister and brothers, like why isn't he changing? But God wrote his story, and in his final chapter, it's a story of redemption and a story of restoration. Amen? Some of your loved ones who have passed away, yeah, they won their last breath from OD, and they cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, I will remember you in paradise. Some are so sick, so sick they're in the hospital. And they've ostracized the whole family. They've ostracized the whole family so people don't even want to visit them. But you know what? On their last breath, they said, Jesus, they recognized, I'm guilty. I need your grace. Please forgive me. Remember me. And guess what Jesus said? I'll remember you. Today you'll see me in paradise. And that can go on and on. There's no such thing as a lost cause. Amen? No, no, why? Because of Jesus. There's no such thing as a lost cause because of Jesus. If there was no gospel, I wouldn't give you hope. But there's hope because God came to earth and loved the world so much. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. If you cry out to Jesus, he will save you and liberate you. Amen? Believe that, know that, preach that, live that, pray that. Let's pray.